Lord, we pray now that as we uh, continue to worship you through the understanding of your word, that you would bring a light to us. Some of us are waiting, struggling with hope. Some of us know others who are waiting and struggling with hope. And we pray, Lord, that as you shine your light upon this waiting, that we will see how you are the God of hope, eternal hope. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The wisest man in the world wrote, hope deferred makes the heart sick. All of us have some point in our lives have experienced it, or at least seen others who have. They've gone through hard times, or we've gone through hard times. We find ourselves in that dark tunnel without the proverbial light at the end of it. Just endless walking in darkness. Dreams elude us. Fatigue and frustration fill us. Hope is drained Despair wants to fill that empty space. Our spirits become numb and our hearts grow sick. There is no relief. Until the light comes at the end of the tunnel. Until the waiting is over. And then the heaviness of heart leaves. Hope returns and the spirit comes alive. We're in a series called Waiting. And it's about waiting with hope in our hearts. We focus on waiting because we're waiting for the celebration of Christmas when God took on human form. And we are waiting for that very same God to fulfill His promise to return and to establish His kingdom upon the earth forever and ever. Now our text this morning on waiting is from Lamentations and it is not a traditional Christmas text. It is five poems, Lamentation, that commemorate the fall of Jerusalem but it is also instructive about waiting with hope. The big idea today is this, that hope will always sustain us. That hope is found only in the character of God. Hope that will always sustain us is only found in the character of God. The writer of Lamentations is Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet he is called. He has witnessed tragic events as God's people have suffered. The Babylonians have come and they are exercising the wrath of God. God is using them to fulfill the promise he made with his people hundreds of years earlier when he told them that if they did not keep this covenant, 
that He would take the promised land away from them. And now the Babylonians had come. More than a hundred years earlier, the Assyrians had come and taken the northern kingdom. Jerusalem has fallen. And what we read in chapter 3 is just how personal and tragic it is for Jeremiah. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open it up to Lamentations 3 and read through these first 18 verses with me. There are Bibles located in the seats in front of you, or maybe you have an electronic Bible. Please join in. Just listen, if not, to how personal this is. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turns aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope. From the Lord. In 586, the Babylonians finished their conquest of Jerusalem. This is why Jeremiah writes in these verses that he is under the affliction of His wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. That He is God Himself. The God who has given the promised land to the Israelites. The God who established Himself in the holy city. And now, 
He has afflicted them. He has poured out His wrath upon them. It is judgment as He promised. It is bitter and it is hard. The pain is so deep, He says, that He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. There is no escape from God's judgment. It is unrelenting and it is without mercy. Hope gives way to despair and there is no end in sight. If there is a picture of a living hell, this is it. No mercy. Constant tribulation. And affliction. Sometimes in our lives when we have to wait and the fear of disappointment grows and we continue to walk and struggle and we cannot see that light at the end of the tunnel, it can begin to feel a bit like this for us. The pain and suffering that we feel makes our heart grow sick. We rationalize and try to minimize it. We convince ourselves, well, this is only temporary. Sometimes we try to ignore it or we pretend it doesn't exist but it continues and inevitably we cannot avoid it. The road that is so long and so hard consumes our every thought. We complain and we whine and we cry and we plead and hope wanes. And despair wants to come. That's when many of us give up, is it not? That's when we just simply say, I can't take anymore. I can't care about this. We become apathetic. We tell ourselves, I don't care. Sometimes we get so angry angry with God that we want to reject Him and perhaps do. So what are we to do with this? The writer tells us about struggling with despair. Jeremiah writes in verses 19 and 20, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and it's bowed down within me. He is talking to himself. He has expressed all this incredible pain and suffering and despair. And now he tells himself to remember. What we see in Jeremiah is that he has not resisted the pain and the suffering. He has not pushed it away. He has in fact Embraced it. 
And we see in this a picture of what we need to learn to do with the hardest things in life. They are not easy. And as a preacher, it's easy to stand here and say, you have to learn to take it. You have to embrace it. Or you give it an energy that will be destructive in your life. But that is just the truth. We cannot dismiss the hard things. We cannot ignore the painful things. We cannot give up on the difficult things. We cannot become apathetic when we really do care and it really does matter. This is the truth. God created you and me to embrace life. He created you and me to embrace all of life. The good and the bad. The happy and the sad. The easy and the hard. This is why the wisest man in the world also wrote, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. We are to experience and embrace the extremes of life. You know, it's one thing, I guess, for us to wonder what that is like and another while we're going through it. But for those of us who have experienced it, we have learned that if we will embrace it, and we do turn to God, while we are embracing it, there is a strength that comes from somewhere else comes from up above and it comes from within through the Holy Spirit. When my kids were growing up and uh, they would come to me and struggle with things, whether it was personal or, you know, the tragic events of a friend dying so young and, and they would just be in utter pain. I would say to them, let me tell you what the Bible says about this. And this too shall pass. And when they were all excited and things were going so well and they were so happy and filled with joy, I would say to them, let me remind you what the Bible says about this. And this too shall pass. It is good for us to learn how to embrace all of life because that's what God intended for us. He created us in that way. So we are to embrace them. And it may mean 
That yes, we get angry with God. We're not happy with the events that have occurred. And we don't understand why God would even allow such a thing. We may even get downright ornery with Him. And some of you, being good evangelicals, know that you should not be angry with God. I know growing up Catholic, I figured out I should not be angry with God because He carried a really big stick. But let me tell you, if you're angry with God, then be angry with Him. But not with everyone else. And not spluttering it all about. Bring it to Him. Because you're angry with Him. And let me tell you what God will do. And I'm going to give you that answer in a parable like Jesus might have. Who among you who is a good parent and who has a child who gets angry with you? And if you've ever had teenage children, you know that that's a reality. Who among you would refuse to listen to your child and his or her anger? Who among you would just turn your back on them and walk away? Who among you would not try to acknowledge what is true and try to correct misconceptions, but certainly accept and love that child, even if that child rejects you? And as a parent, I can tell you, I have walked that path. Every good parent remains loving their child. And God is no less a good parent. If we who are sinful human beings know how to do that, how much more does God know how to deal with us when we're angry with Him? So when we are struggling with despair, do not push it away. When you are struggling with grief or pain or suffering or waiting endlessly, embrace it. Embrace it. And trust God. This leads us now in the chapter and lesson on how to deal with this. A turning to God. Verses 21 through 26, we find that after Jeremiah is emptied and despair has filled him, this is what happens. He writes, but I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I want to stop right there. The Hebrew word for call actually means to recall, to return, or to turn back to God. 
He is going back into an experience and back into a relationship that he has understood in his life. And so he writes, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. In the previous verses that Jeremiah has wrote about, he has wrote about his experience of the judgment of God. In God's very character comes this judgment. And he is an exacting judge. He holds everyone accountable for every sin. This is part of his very nature. The nature of his holiness. He is without sin. And he has created us in that image. And he has commanded that we would be holy as he was holy. It also comes out of the fact that he is righteous and just. Meaning that he always acts in accordance to what is right. And for the breaking of that covenant with God. The people of God came under the judgment of God. And they received His wrath. His judgment is exacting and it is merciless and it is to be feared. But with his heart emptied in God's time, his mind returned to God and his eyes were opened, not just to a part of God, not just to the judgment of God, not just to God's holy nature and his righteous and just nature, which are exacting and merciless, but also to God's steadfast love that never ceases. To His mercies that are new every day. He remembered that God's faithfulness is great because God is unchanging. He is true to His character and He will faithfully keep all of his promises. This is why when Paul was writing to his young protege, Timothy, he wrote, if we are faithless, he, that is God, still remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Jeremiah came to see God's character, not in part, but in the whole. And because he saw it in the whole, at least 
the whole of what God has revealed to us, you found hope again. Real hope. Lasting hope that could never, ever be taken away. And it filled his heart. So with all assuredness, he wrote, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He found eternal And I want to take just a minute for us to examine that so that we understand it. Oftentimes when we look for hope, we are looking for something tangible to occur. Perhaps even material in nature. We are looking for a spouse or for children or for a beautiful family. Or we are looking for a job or a promotion or an increase in salary. Perhaps it is material possessions. Perhaps it is a change in circumstances. Perhaps it is in the way that we are perceived or related to that we want to see a change. Perhaps it is hoping that the fear or the pain and the suffering that we're in will stop. Perhaps it is merely just hoping for the light at the end of the tunnel. But let me tell you that hope found in temporal things is temporal. It is not bad. So do not assume that just because we hope about temporal things, it is bad. It's not. But it will fade away And it will give way to another dream and another hope. But there is a hope that will not give way. There is a hope that is eternal. There is a hope that is everlasting. That hope that springs eternal and is everlasting is the hope we find in the very character of God. Hope that Jeremiah discovered when his mind returned to the character of God and saw God not in part, but in full. It is eternal hope that he saw, which is unfading and unending. It is eternal hope because it lies in the eternal character of God. It is the steadfast love that never ceases for us. It is the mercies that are new to us every day. God's character in these things is unending and unchanging. This is why his faithfulness is so great because he is true to his word and all of his promises he makes he will keep. Like the gift of eternal life when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever will believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What God has promised, God will do. And this is good news for all people. It is why Jesus came. Why he grew into a man and then began the ministry 
that he was set here to bring, in which he taught us about God and God's great love. Yes, God's a judge. But God is also filled with great love. And then Jesus became for us an atonement on the cross, dealing with the judgment of God for our sake and releasing the love of God in an outpouring way for all of us so that grace and mercy would abound. I don't know if there's somebody here today who hasn't made a decision for Jesus. But let me tell you, a relationship with Jesus is a choice, like any relationship. And that choice that we make is to believe that He is the Savior and to trust in Him and what God has done. I don't know if perhaps you're somebody who's trying to understand all of this. This much I can tell you. You will never understand it fully. Because we come to this understanding by faith. There is a leap that we must make. We don't have to throw away our minds, but there is a leap. It comes through faith. So I invite you to make that choice by faith. And if you've perchance Turn your back on Jesus, then know that what he has done is still true. And there is still forgiveness and grace and the outpouring of God's love for you. And it is my prayer that God will move in your hearts so that you might know his great eternal love through Jesus. God's word teaches us how to wait when we are struggling with hope. It tells us to look to God, all of God, not just a piece of God, for there is hope in the full character of God. But what people do is, we'll just forget that God's a judge. We'll just put this holy nature off to the side. We'll just let this righteous, just nature of God kind of be here because we don't know how to deal with it and it ain't easy. And we'll just say, God is love. God is love. Scriptures tell us that. But we can't eliminate the other. And Jesus has reconciled this for us so we can embrace all of God. Because you know what happens when we embrace all of God? We understand how vast and wide the love of God is. It is beyond what we can fully comprehend. Because God has dealt with that side. So that we can be in relationship to him for eternity. The Bible says God will judge us. But he also says, God loves us. Jesus came to be the Messiah. He lived 
and he died making atonement for us. And he sent to us the Holy Spirit of God to take up a dwelling within us. And this is what it says in Romans about this. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. My friends, even when we cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, the full character of God is what we need to look to. By faith, we can trust and know that God is with us. He is the light at the end of every tunnel, for in Him, hope springs eternal. Just as hope deferred makes the heart sick, so hope that springs eternal does not disappoint us. Hope in Him will sustain us. On Christmas, we celebrate God's great love for us and the eternal hope we have in Him as He came down to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who died upon the cross for our sins, and who is able to forgive us, to embrace us, who has sent to us the Holy Spirit and who has promised that He will return once again to establish His kingdom here on earth forever and ever. Amen. Father, as we wait now for Christmas, we wait with wondrous expectation to celebrate what you have done in Jesus and the miracle, Lord, of his birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension and in the promise he has made to return. We thank you, Lord, for being such a great God. And we thank you that as we look to who you are, all of you, that we can have eternal hope. Because our hope is in you. Your steadfast love of us never ceases. And your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.